Hi, you're listening to the KUWNZ podcast and I'm Ingrid Grenard. Each episode, I'm going to be chatting to someone from the New Zealand art scene, exploring their life and career, as well as their favourite Kiwi connections in theatre, film, comedy and music. This week, we should be settling into the New Zealand International Comedy Festival. So it seems right that I chat to one of New Zealand's comedy scene legends. Rosie Carnahan Darby is a comedy writer and producer who's currently working alongside husband Reese Darby and others in her bubble to produce a weekly rural chat show, The Alone Rangers, starring Reese's popular character, Ranger Bill Napier. Behind the scenes, Rosie has produced sold-out tours and comedy TV specials for Reese, as well as writing for various TV projects and most recently producing the new podcast Aliens Like Us for Spotify. I chat to Rosie about her career in comedy that's taken her from Nelson to L.A. We are still in lockdown here in New Zealand, so we did record the podcast via a Zoom meeting with Rosie. That means that the sound isn't quite what I'd want it to be, but it's a great chat and I really wanted you guys to hear it. Just a shout out and thank you to Ian Wright, my husband, for doing what he could with the recording to make the sound as best as it could be for this episode. I'll be back at the end of the podcast to let you know about what's coming up next. But for now, here's Rosie Carnahan Darby. Rosie Carnahan Darby, welcome to the Keeping Up With Internet podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me, Ingrid. Uh, We're in lockdown. We're in week five of lockdown and you're in week six because you came over from the US. Yes, and then I was already in isolation the week before that. So I think it was week seven for me. So how's life, how's life in the US day to day before all of this? Well, it happened very quickly. Like we sort of had heard about this virus and then I remember we went out to dinner on maybe the Tuesday night and we're like, this, and restaurants were quiet. And we were starting to talk about how this might be a little more serious than we realized. And then on the Thursday morning, we sent the kids off to school and by 10 a.m., all my mum friends and I were, mom friends and I were talking going we shouldn't be going to the theater show that the kids are putting on tonight this is this feels wrong mm. by two o'clock Finn finishes school he's in high school he finishes at 3 40 by two o'clock he was calling me going um they've closed school can you come and get me mm-hmm. so it happened literally in a morning where we went from oh this might be quite serious to oh the kids schools are closed um, and then I remember about 4.30, I started getting messages from friends in New Zealand going, just be careful in the States. And I remember turning to the, the boys and going, I think we have to leave. I think we need to get out before it gets real bad here. You got out so left on time, didn't you, really? So, yeah, I mean, everything happened that we thought would happen. I didn't think the lockdown would be as full on as it is here, but the results are amazing. So I'm pleased that we got back and that... Um, Jacinda took the um, path that she did. Yeah. Yeah. So you are isolating in a bubble with a few others that you came over from the US with. So I guess from a relationships point of view, that's helped with family tension or? <laughs> it's, it's funny because it's like I haven't had flatmates um, since my 20s and it's like flatting again where at one point someone suggested we do a cleaning roster and I was like no just clean up your own damn shit okay we're all grown-ups we can clean up I know what you're saying like it's not just two adults knocking heads against each other yeah when, 
when Reese gets mad at me, I can walk off with another person and have a conversation about it. And we have a slightly more blessed, dare I say it, um, situation than it could have been. So because of your um, lockdown and because of the skills you've got within your bubble, you guys have put together a web series. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how that's kind of... Yeah, so I joked that I cast our lockdown. So, you know, I'll be taking um, audition tapes for the next lockdown. I'm joking. Nine of us came back from LA together. And I said, well, you know, I don't want you guys to um, be stuck in one bedroom or a hotel or something. Why don't we quarantine together? And then, of course, days after we quarantined together, we went into lockdown. I was like, hey, guys, you're stuck with me. So what had, was going to be two weeks together has now turned into six weeks together. Um, and the first week we started talking about how we were going to go crazy if we didn't do something. Mm-hmm. And so we sat around and we talked about lots of different ideas. And then the, the idea that we landed on with the Alone Rangers was that Reese. Uh, writes for Bill Napier really, really easily. And Jono's done the Ron Bradman Aussie character on stage with Reese, And they realised they could just mine comedy together with that and then bring Jamie in as like the, um, the, the goofy, useless third wheel would work really well. And so I'm like, came out of Reese's head, he said he wanted to do a rural late night show. And we're like, you know what? Okay. And what I like about it as a producer is that we're not um, ignoring the fact that everybody's in the same boat. We're saying we're all on lockdown. This is the way these three odd characters are dealing with lockdown. And it makes it relatable, uh, relatable for people. Yeah. And we've had so many conversations around the dinner table talking about what do we think the characters would do next? Would they go mad? Would they, what are they missing? And actually this week's episode, um, came out of conversations we were having two weeks ago where we were talking about how much we miss going to restaurants. So, you know, we're trying to show the reality of how these these ranges would be dealing with it. Yeah, no, it's really cool. I mean, it was also an experiment in our past. We wanted to see what kind of quality we could turn around given the resources and both the human and physical resources we have here. So Dean's obviously a brilliant director and had all this That's such a great opening shot. It's beautiful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so good, yeah. Um, but then Finn, the 14-year-old, has been dabbling in filmmaking for years and has a camera. So he's sort of apprentice to Dean and um, he's camera two and he does the initial ingestion and first pass the edit. And so he's learning a lot. And we realised that we can't underestimate how... Um, how resourceful everyone can be. Georgia, who's Jono's wife, has taken on first AD, prop making, whatever else you need. Um, and I'm fluffing about usually just cooking for people because that's about what a producer does, feeds people, makes them feel good. <laughs> that's where you're at today. So I wanted to have a chat with you to kind of see how you've got here. Being born and raised in New Zealand, where were you brought up? What were your dreams and aspirations when you were growing up? What were you like at school? Wow, we've been in here a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really old and gritty. <laughs> I should open a bottle. Um, born and raised in Nelson, uh, which is, you know, in the 70s and 80s was a hugely artistic, hippie community. Um, I always joked that half my friends' families were living off the land and had goats and chickens and grow their own food and they were artists and free thinkers and stuff. 
danced my entire childhood. I was a competitive dancer. I danced and did lots of things. And then when I was 15, I auditioned for the Amateur Operatic Society um, show of West Side Story. Yeah. And I remember the first rehearsal day and we were, there's all these adults and people older than me and we're all rehearsing these dances. And I realized that people do this for a job. I could like muck about in the theater my entire life <laughs> and it would be a job. <laughs> so um, I ended up studying drama at university. And then I remember having this moment when I was about 23 and I was out with Jono and Reese. You know, Reese, who I'm now married to, Jono, who is, I'm in quarantine with. Um, and I, re- I looked at them and I realized I didn't want to be a performer as much as they did. I didn't have the passion. Like, sure, it was fun and it's always fun to imagine getting an Oscar or whatever. It's never going to happen. <laughs> um, I wasn't good enough and I wasn't passionate enough to do it. But right away to university, what I was passionate about was getting people in to see the shows mm-hmm. and telling people about the shows and enabling everybody else on stage. And I sort of realized that was going to be way more fun. And um, skipping forward, I actually had a conversation with one of the kids a few years ago. And we were standing on the stage at the Civic before one of Reese's sold out shows, you know, two and a half, three thousand people. And um, they said, do you get jealous that it's all about dad? I went, it's so not all about dad. I said, look at every seat in this class. Every single seat is sold out tonight to see dad. Who did that? They went, you did, mum. I said, yeah. So I had all the excitement of taking these performers or these things that I really like and telling people about them. And it's a little bit producing, it's a little bit PR, it's a little bit looking, I have a degree in sociology, it's a little bit looking at what society wants and needs and then going, okay, so I have I have a Reese Derby and I have a society that's in lockdown that wants to consume things but is sick to death of thinking about death numbers and yada 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 and so you kind of figure out what that pathway is to creating something that people want um so Reese and i've been together since we're 23 we met because straight out of university i opened a bar that had performance in it every every night was this in christchurch or at uni or yeah 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 and we met and then i ended up selling my share of the bar and got offered the job at the Classic in Auckland and was kind of at that point, I guess, sucked into comedy. So um, when, when you were working at the Classic, was, mm-hmm. I mean, the Classic is still like the comedy club, but what was the comedy scene like in New Zealand when you moved to Auckland and, and worked at the Classic? It wasn't a career. The only person that was getting paid a wage would have been you know, me. Is the bar is the venue manager. Um, most of the comics at this point, this is after six months after it opened, most of the barmen, bar people were performers. So I remember looking at a roster, I'd have Chris Brain, Jeremy Elwood, Juzzy, maybe Terry, no, Terry Frisbee, but these are the barmen. And then you'd have the Mike Kings and stuff who were touring successfully. But the idea that you could be a comedian and be on a television show and or and, and money was it didn't exist. And in those days in the late nineties, mostly what people wanted to do was win the belly tea, go to Edinburgh, and hopefully get something going there. But even then, I don't remember anyone particularly making any money or making television. I mean, I remember Reese making a pilot with um, 
Grant Lobin and the Gary Boys, which was Danny Bowen, um, Brett O'Gorman, and Nick, Nick, surname I can't think of. Um, and that would have been about 2001 for TVNZ. And even then, it was kind of a miracle they managed to get it together. So what happened with us is we realised that there was no money to be made in New Zealand and if we wanted to avoid getting real jobs, so we were going to have to figure out how to make the arts work for us. So we decided that um, if we were going to be determined not to get real jobs, then we, New Zealand wasn't going to serve us. So we moved to the UK and um, we raced pretty quickly, was earning decent amount, you know, getting gigs, you know, doing the comedy store and, and jonglers and stuff. I ended up as a booker for Jonglers, which was a great experience. I met lots of people who I'm still friends with, and it's really interesting to see other people's trajectories over the last 20 odd years. Um, people that were just starting out in the UK and have done very, very well. And um, I mean, God, I remember John Oliver doing Jonglers back in the day. Yeah. So it's been, it's, it's been really interesting. I was going to say that with um, with having worked in the classic and working and booking in Jonglers, which is the, like the biggest comedy club chain in the UK. You've been in a position to see like so many performers, like you said, John Oliver um, and others like international and, and local. Like you've seen everyone kind mm-hmm. of grow in, and in their career. As any, oh, I don't know if you probably want to say, has <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> anyone's success surprised you? <laughs> Um, uh, maybe we won't answer that one unless you want to answer no, it. I, I can answer that one. I'll tell you why. Because people's success is dependent on so many different things, and sometimes you don't predict it. You know, I think back to Michael McIntyre. I wasn't allowed to put him on as a closer because they didn't think he was strong enough. But what yeah. Michael is is he is incredibly pr- prolific in his writing, and he reaches a very very broad audience. So he may not. And also, I mean, I was booking him almost 20 years ago. He's a different performer now. So what I see isn't necessarily what everybody else always sees. I'd be intrigued to know what your answer is going to be for this because it's difficult. One of the questions I ask people is, um, what would be, or who would be your favourite Kiwi comic and um, favourite or favourite New Zealand comedy show? Mm-hmm. big ones out there um, which you're kind of connected to all kiwi comedy anyway so it's a, a difficult answer but you probably have to give who your favorite kiwi comic is um well obviously my favorite kiwi comedian has to be the one that i share a bed with yeah, yeah goes without saying but the funny thing about that is when i first saw him perform i thought he was too over the top and wouldn't make it i thought he was trying to do a, a um inferior jim carrey impersonation and i thought grant Lobin was far more talented <laughs> and he doesn't mind me telling that story because I tell it all the time. Um, in actual fact, both of them are incredibly talented, but in very different ways. Over the years, there's performers that just make me happy to watch. Like, their style is so natural. People like Justine Smith. Um, she is, I mean, I remember when I worked at the Classic, it was always so much fun watching her because her patter and her style and her self deprecation is fun. Yeah. Um, I remember when we were in New Zealand a few years ago during the festival, we decided we were going to see as many of the young young uns as we could um, to just see what was coming through in the next generation. <laughs> I mean, this must be quite a few years ago now. And Reese and I, I dragged Reese down to Tim Bat's show, and it was at 10 o'clock in some weird little bar, and he had like an overhead projector, and it was all about space and aliens and stuff, and it was mental. 
and we were like oh yeah this guy's brilliant like i saw that show with you guys i i the same night you guys saw it i think yeah since we've been here which is almost 10 years the whole landscape seems so different like there's so much so many local comedians there's so many and it's so much more diverse than it was and everyone's quite different with what they do i think also platforms like seven days and now have you been paying attention means that there is a pathway that people can see they can say oh if i do xyz i could get a job writing on that or i could write gags to that it's not a like the best i'm going to get is a late show at the classic which is nothing wrong with it but i remember feeling in the late 90s that i don't want to be with someone that that was that was the height of the their success they're going to get because at some point you want to buy a house and you want to you know have more enough money that you don't have to rely on the two dollar pints um, we are, the other um, person I was just thinking about who I loved, who influenced Reese and I hugely, was the Four Knolls. And they are Kiwis, but they were based in Australia at the time. And from a performance point of view, they influenced the way we look at performance hugely. Um, so thanks, Jesse Griffin. Do you think then with um, New Zealand being quite a small place and sort of not having loads of places to perform, that for performers to grow, they have to leave, even if it means they come back and, and work here again. Do you think as a performer, for just for the live audience part, that, that you actually do need to leave or? So we started in Christchurch where there was literally nowhere for the guys to perform. So they were going to bars and saying, can we use that mic and do some gags for beer or whatever. I think that when you are like, and the performers that came out of Christchurch were loopy, because they were being influenced by the straight stand-up. I don't think Reese and Grant would be the performers they are today had they started in Auckland. Um, they were already doing weird poetry and weird stuff before they hit Auckland. Uh, I do think, I 100% think you have to go overseas. And there's a number of reasons why. I think that you have to be exposed to different cultural comedy. I mean, you know this, uh, being British. That the way different cultures approach comedy is very different. Um, I think that the Reese is the comedian he is today because he spent five or six years performing to people who weren't interested in him in British pubs. And it means that you have to learn to read the audience. Mm. You can't have this, you can't pack the classic with your mates who think you're brilliant. It's really hard work. Um, and that's when you find tune with your performance as well. Yeah, I definitely noticed that with um, Rose when she went and came back, how much sharper she was and how much more in control and confident she seemed on stage. Um, But yeah, it definitely refined and then she came back and did some really great shows here, which then went to Edinburgh and then she later won the Comedy Award there. I think what you said there is really interesting in control because I don't think people realise how how much the former the comedian needs to be in control of everything that happens in that room they and i was talking to somebody about this years ago when reese was doing the seven and i remember saying to them watch him perform because he doesn't perform to the first 10 rows he manages to make the person at the very back of the civic feel like they're included in his conversation and it's a very nuanced thing where he knows exactly what's going on in the room Mm. it's not just him on stage with the microphone telling the gags he thinks they want to hear. It's much more nuanced and much more um, controlled than that. 
very rarely I think someone's like completely natural and great at being a stand-up comedian immediately I mean I've yeah. seen seen some great open mics but also some really <laughs> terrible ones and um, but however even if they're terrible I still just think oh it would be worse <laughs> but I, it's my recurring nightmare is, is I'm on stage with a microphone and I know I've got a killer 20 minute set and I can't remember it have you ever done stand-up yourself? No. no. Uh, is there a reason you wouldn't want to try it? or? I have no reason to try it. And the last thing I need is every comic that I've criticised in the last 25 years coming and watching me. <laughs> um, um, I, I used to do, um, back when Scott did Loose Tuesday, I would do that, which was the improv. Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah. have, you, have you seen Snort over here? The yes. improv? Because um, they've really refined as well. They've been going for years and they're a really tight-knit group. Um, so obviously you had a theatre background and really passionate about theatre and being in theatre originally. Is there a Kiwi production, or it could be an pro international production that stars a Kiwi, um, in the theatre that you've seen that really sticks in your mind? Okay, I'll say two things. One is a little nod to my buddy Jono when I saw him as Draco in Cursed Child on Broadway last year. It was, I mean, that show is mind-bending it's incredible and I remembered um Theo standing on the after watching two shows my 10 year old standing on his seat um yelling go Uncle Jono he was so proud of him so the show that I that really one of the shows that you you know this as well you see shows sometimes that pivot your um your the way you look at theatre and they kind of change you and the one that I was thinking about the other day was number two. And it must be 20 years ago, it was on at the Basement Theatre, and it was Madeline Sami, and it was the first time I'd seen her perform live. I think she was a doctor on Shortland Street or something. And her ability to completely inhabit every single character in that play was incredible. And again, like the Four Knowles, recently, I remember recently looking at it going, wow, that's what you can do. That's what you can do with character work. It's so cool. It's, I want to say that it's written by Tara Fraser. I might be wrong. Um, it, was, it was so good. And she played all the different um, characters of this Fijian Indian family. Yeah, so with you, because you've got two boys, um, and obviously they've grown up around this creative environment, and with their dad being sort of in the spotlight for film, TV, and, and on stage, do you think that's put them off or made them want to be not the same career, but, you know, an artistic career? Um, I think particularly with Finn in the school he goes to in LA, uh, everybody's parents are actors, directors, writers and rock stars. And so it's a language that everybody speaks. The school focuses on really enabling the kids with music and theatre and stuff. So I think the horses bolted on that one he um I mean he even took in middle school he even took comedy classes so I was like oh god we're in. and he sits there on his phone like any comedian he has a file on his phone full of jokes on stand-up material oh, cool. I'm like oh god I've got another one um, <laughs> Finn loves being on stage he loves acting he uh has done a little bit of voice work on cartoons like Voltron and Pete the Cat um and, but I think he also loves the filmmaking aspect of it. So I think he will, he'll, 
he'll find some stories he wants to tell and he can make them himself. He doesn't necessarily need another person to help him. Like he, he's full service himself. Theo is hilarious, but very focused on being a director. If, I mean, I don't think it would have even entered either of their brains to be a dentist or a doctor because they didn't know any. Yeah, I think that if, if, if your world is full of creative people who are making music and um, making comedy, then that's what you think the world is. So um, with that in mind, obviously you've lived um, UK, New Zealand and US. Um, and one of the questions I ask is like the Yana question, which is what does New Zealand not do or should we do more of to support the performing arts um, and because you've got experience internationally what do you think would help um, progress performers you know from school age up until and throughout their careers what could New Zealand do better? I think New Zealand actually does it pretty well um, I don't know whether they still do it but back in the late 90s under Helen Clark you could apply for an artist benefit and that changed Reese's life. I remember he didn't have to, he used to work, he and Grant used to work at this place putting like the rating stickers on VHSs. And then Helen Clark announced this artist benefit, which meant that you would go on the dole with no pressure to get a job because you were supposed to be doing your art. Oh, that's and brilliant. It was amazing. So that meant he didn't have to go like work eight hours a day in some city job to pay the rent. He was able to go, oh no, I'm an artist benefit. I'm going to write a comedy show. And I think that is really important. And if you look at him as a case study of that, think about the tax he's paid since. It's more than paid for it. <laughs> um, I, think that, um, I think that the relationship between television and film and live needs to be explored more. But I think that it's, um, it's very difficult here because of the small population mm. and small amount of money involved. Um, and I think that there are a lot of really good projects and um, uh, protocols happening. Like, I know from living in LA, Film New Zealand has um, mixes all the time, not all the time, every year. And so you, you're meeting up with other Kiwi um, filmmakers and television makers and performers and yada yada, as well as meeting people in the industry over there. Like, um, they're really proactive with getting our voice out there. So I think comparatively to the US, the live scene and comedy here is great. In the US, you know, you don't get paid. The assumption is that you're not a stand-up because you want to be a stand-up. You're a stand-up because you're trying to get a TV show. Yeah, I, I, was, I was thinking about that question all day. And I was like, I actually think New Zealand's doing pretty well. Having said that, I don't know what the landscape is going to look like in the future. I actually think um, where, where we've got to right now, um, where there's lot, lots more, I see lots more local content coming through, but a lot of it is web series um, and Radio New Zealand's producing quite a lot of um, good content as well. Um, but I still feel like you have to seek it out a little bit more than I'd like compared to the th like the big mainstream shows like The Bachelor and all that sort of stuff. That's always the top billing and you kind of wish that they could play around with um, well, I think that's the thing in the US. You have these networks that are devoted, like if you're Comedy Central or TBS or um, anywhere like that, you're really um, you're you're really devoted to 
what the mantra of your network is, like TBS and Comedy Central are all about comedy. Yeah. And so, um, so you have those platforms in there, they specialise in, this is all our, this is our, our array of funny stuff, watch it. You're right, they have that list here, and I think that it sort of circles back on itself. I think it's difficult to get stuff made here because of a small population and there's a limited pool of funding. But I think New Zealand's doing pretty good with getting stuff out there. Oh, that's what I was saying. And then, sort of looking forward, what does the future look like? I don't know. Um, you know, on the upside, I feel like New Zealand may be open for production before anywhere else in the world, which means a lot of live performers will be able to pivot to recorded stuff. Um, what do I think about the future of theatre? I don't know. Like, literally, the weekend before, everything went tits up in the States. Finn and I were at Book of, Mor- Book of Mormon in LA. And I remember sitting in the seats going, we feel a little weird sitting around this many people, but ah, it's probably nothing. So now, to almost two months later, would I go and sit in a theatre with 4,000 people on a Saturday afternoon? I don't think I would. Not for a very long time. So I think we're looking at a really interesting time where the way we consume things is going to have to pivot and change. When we do have it, though, we'll be really thirsty for it. And I think in one sense, there is so much stuff going on, or was so much stuff going on, that it's almost yeah. it's difficult to get bums on seats when you had Auckland Fringe, uh, mm-hmm. Comedy Festival, Auckland's Art Festival, all crammed together, then Film Festival. Like, I've been talking to a lot of people about virtual theatres and stuff where you have the, the-, the headset on and you're having that same experience, but in a different sort of way. We'll see how people innovate over the next year or two. And actually, Book of Mormon was the last thing we went to, too, at the oh, Civic. Funny. And we really didn't want to go for the same reason. Like, I went to the Globe Theatre the week before, and I was like, I don't know. Because um, it had just arrived, like, I think five days before they'd got their first phone uh-huh. case here. And so I was already mega paranoid, because um, I'd been watching what was going on elsewhere. And then on the 11th of March, we went to Book of Mormon, and both of us were like, if it wasn't this show, we wouldn't be going. And Ian was DJing the parties he had to go anyway. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it was a really good show to see if we're going to see the last one. At least it was a good, fun one to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it was a laugh. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So obviously you're in LA, you're in Hollywood. Um, Kiwi's making a big mark in Hollywood at the moment. Do you have, and this can be any, any film, but do you have a favourite Kiwi film... Um, the one that springs to mind is Hunt for the World People because it's, it's such a, I love adventure movies. I love, you know, the little guy wins kind of stuff. I thought Taika did such a great job in the fi- and, it, and the final scenes were so cool. And every time I recommend to a, a friend at school or another mom or whatever, I go, watch Hunt for the World People. They internationally they just get it they get the story there's none none of this like oh i didn't quite understand culturally what that meant they just get it and they love it yeah it's perfect and a lot of people saw that film having not seen any other type of films as well so that was mm-hmm. a way of people then finding his other stuff we were in sundance when it premiered in sundance and i can remember sitting next to carthew who is a producer and i've known carthew since he was 13 like we both grew up in nelson and he was my sister's friend. And we're sitting there and he was like, he's really nervous, obviously, as a producer. You, they're in the big theatre at Sundance. He was, re- he was like, oh my God, how's it going to go? And then 
he was making notes at the back and he came back and sat down next to me for the last half an hour and I went, look at the kids. And so the kids were like, I want to say nine and five at the time. And they were both holding onto the seat in front of them, glued to the film. And I went, Kathy, if you can get my kids to sit and be this engaged, you have a winner. This is amazing. And um, does everyone in New Zealand know each other? (laughs) (laughs) You just know everyone in New Zealand. (laughs) Um, I still do that. Oh, yes. Where did you grow up? What school did you go to? Did you know such and such? I think that's helped, actually, with the lockdown, with that kind of village feel actually when um when there was the terrorist attack in Christchurch that's when I first really felt like New Zealand's a village type place because of how much it hurts I mean all of that stuff hurts anywhere you know globally but there was something where it literally felt like it is your doorstep Mm -hmm. and I remember a friend messaging something and they were like oh right it's in Christchurch like it like oh it's really separate from me and I was like no it literally is like New Zealand's so such a small community. It really felt like you were hurting, like as if it was it is your neighbour, basically. Um, with the lockdown, it's felt that way as well. I almost feel like Kiwis have got really competitive now around, like, no, actually, we could be the best at this. <laughs> let's be the <laughs> best at not leaving the house. Because <laughs> at first it was kind of like, okay, let's see, let's just join together, and it was like a sort of camaraderie. But now I feel like it's got like. Right, we're going to be the best at this. We're going to be the all blacks of quarantine. There's also there's that. There's also the um, mum said we can't leave the house, so we're not going to. And we like Jacinda too much to. We'd be if she was disappointed in us, we'd be so sad. Yeah, definitely. You definitely want want to do a good job for her, and yeah, now it's got to the point when we don't want to mess it up. So no. Actually, one of my American friends sent me I don't know one of those articles about how awesome she is the other day, and I said. And we're sort of chatting back and forth. And I said, I just think she probably could be president, prime minister and queen of the world. And my friends are like, uh, yeah, that'd be okay by us as well. So final question. I'm really excited to hear this one. What's your favourite Kiwi song or album or like anthem? What's your go-to that makes you go, ah, oh, that's New Zealand for me. That's New Zealand music. Um, Chris Knox. It's you that I want. It's, I saw it. Chris Knox playing at Quadrophenia in Christchurch in maybe 1994. Um, and he was, he's a punk rocker from way back and this is his love song to his partner and it's, it's beautiful. So, 2020, going really well so, so far. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad when Kobe Bryant died, but... Um, yeah, and the, the bushfires. Yeah, remember when that was our worst problem? I remember. I forgot about them. Is the kids having to stay home from school because there was bloody fires in the hills around LA again? And then it's just next level. But um, obviously, you've got you've got your show to be working on. But what are your plans? Well, we can't plan really forward. But what are what are your plans then for the coming months? You're going to be staying in New Zealand. Where else am I going to go? Um, no, I thought I might uh, jump from this nice place into the dumpster fire that is the USA. Um, but for us, it's, it's going to be a daily conversation. Is it time to go back now? Is it time to stay here? Meanwhile, we are, um, I mean, the words that we th- we're throwing around are innovate and diversify. Like, what does this mean? It means that, oh, thank God I didn't have a tour plan for Reese this winter because we were due to, and I was like, let's not do it this year. Thank yeah. God. Um, 
we're just looking at the, we're sitting back and having a lot of conversations with the kids about the way people are going to consume entertainment in the future. So mm-hmm. it's kind of exciting in a way. It's been it's quite a good opportunity to kind of clear your head and and escape the world. And I think a lot of people have enjoyed the switching off aspect. Yeah. Do you want to kind of give some plugs of where people can find things you're working on or whatever you want to share? You can catch uh, The Alone Rangers, which I've been producing on YouTube. If you go to Reese Darby's YouTube channel and we're doing at 3 p.m. each Friday, we are doing a um, premiere so that we comment along while you guys watch it, which is kind of super fun and the highlight of our week. Um, but you can find all Reese's specials, most of which I produced on um, Amazon Prime or iTunes. All right, then. I'll let you go and we'll catch up soon. Take care. Love to everybody. Thank to you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much, Rosie. So that's it for the KUWNZ podcast for this week. Please follow, subscribe, like, share, tell people about us. Coming up, we've got more comedy. Next week, we'll have one from the archives. Um, We've got a little bonus podcast from James Acaster. So an interview we did with him in 2013 at the New Zealand International Comedy Festival. The KUWNZ podcast is a Keeping Up With NZ doc production in association with creativesidekicking.com presented and produced by moi Ingrid Grenard.